Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, and even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? The theme song you heard is a recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement, We Are Building Up a New World. This recording is from a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in, in December 2014. It was led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for the podcast. My name is Jean Jeffress, and I'm back with you for a Monday Thursday special. I'm grateful for the invitation to contribute my thoughts and words to this body of work. I am a member and a lay leader at the First Congregational Church of Oakland, United Church of Christ, and a candidate for ordination in the United Church of Christ. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and currently live in the city of Oakland, which exists on the unceded land of the Ohlone people. This podcast is a project of surge faith and is particularly designed for white people. The idea is that white people will talk to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe that white people, like many of you listening now and like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. The last time I was with you all on the podcast, it seems as though it was a very different world. It was the first week of Lent. I told you all how I had decided to give up TV and social media. So in the spirit of Lent, I will confess that I gave up on that Lenten practice, on those Lenten practices, because here in California, we've been quarantined for 21 days now. So I go ahead and watch my 90s and early 2000s reruns at night, and I'm on some form of social media nearly all day, every day. It's the main way I'm staying connected with my people, all my people, church people, work people, family, everyone. It's a Zoom, Facebook, IG, Marco Polo, Microsoft Teams, texting, chatting, life. I'm living over here. And I'm sure many of you are living that same life as well. These are truly frightening and uncertain days. We live in as we anticipate unfathomable loss. This is our journey to the cross in 2020. On the way to the cross every year, we make a stop in the upper room with Jesus and his friends as they join for one final Seder with their teacher and friend. 
Traditionally, of course, Maundy Thursday is the service where we share a meal, receive communion, and participate in one of the most important and telling rituals we have inherited from our Christian texts, the foot washing ritual. This simple and humble act of service that Jesus insisted upon doing for his friends after their meal tells us very plainly why Jesus was here, to serve. Much to the protest of Peter in John 13, 1-7, 31b-35, who could not believe that Jesus, the rabbi, the savior, the messiah, would wash the feet of those supposedly beneath him. Here's the passage from John. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you know, you, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, "Will you, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet but is entirely clean, and you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put his, his robe, put back on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The story 
of the Upper Room is one of the great Holy Week stories we retell each year. It's a story from which a Christology of service, radically inclusive love, and forgiveness can be derived. It's one of the stories from which I derived my Christology that the life of and witness of Jesus Christ are about the use of power. We are told that Jesus used his power to serve, heal, teach, give life, and restore to wholeness. It is a story about sitting across the table from the one you know is going to betray you and eating with them anyway. It is a story about becoming vulnerable with friends so that they have a better chance of understanding you. It's a beautiful story. But even the best stories, even the most beautiful stories, sometimes need to be retold because we get new information. It's not that the truth or the meaning of the story changes, it's that new ideas need to be woven into the story so that it can have meaning in a new context. And we have some new information. We have some new and very strange information that could lead us to believe that we are living in a speculative fiction short story where there is a severe shortage of toilet paper and cleaning supplies and rubbing alcohol and latex gloves. We have some new information that could turn this gathering of Jesus and his friends into an apocalypse. Because you see, this year, out of an abundance of caution, the Seder in the upper room, what we have come to know as Maundy Thursday, has been canceled. You can still join, though, at www.zoom.romanweb.rm slash Jesus slash 30 CE password equals wash your feet for 20 seconds. The upper room could not accommodate sufficient social distancing and people have been panic buying unleavened bread. The shop that sells foot washing water basins has been out for weeks and has no idea when they'll be back in stock. This destabilizes the story a little bit. Every year we know that Jesus is going to face his betrayer and share his body and blood anyway. Every year we know that Jesus is going to yet again guide Peter back from his eager bravado. Every year we know that Jesus is going to kneel down and serve the people that he loves and teach them in turn that they must serve each other. And through this service this love, others will know they are followers of Jesus the Christ through acts of love and service. But this year, the Seder in the upper room was held on Zoom, and halfway through, before Jesus had a chance to take the bread and, the, and break it, Judas Zoom-bombed the meeting. He took over the screen and shared an image of 30 pieces of silver gleaming in the sunlight. He hacked the upper room's ISP address and told it to the Roman soldiers, and they were able to triangulate the signal and locate Jesus. They followed him from where he had cyber-dined with his disciples, leaving his heroset unfinished. He had to get out, quarantine or no quarantine. He needed to pray. He crossed the Kidred Valley where there was a garden. There he was met by soldiers 
who had followed him. They arrested Jesus. The initial charge was breaking quarantine because the garden was actually closed during the lockdown. But Jesus knew they would find and add more charges later. Peter lost his temper and was arrested for insulting an officer, but was later released, denying all knowledge of Jesus and his associates at his interrogation. The whole thing was a nightmare. Only one thing happens to people like Jesus who end up in the hands of Roman soldiers. But this year, out of an abundance of caution, crucifixions will be done outside of the view of the crowd. The whole thing is a nightmare and everybody is scared. At first, Caesar said the sickness that was spreading would go away like a miracle, but when it spread and spread, he started to blame it on the people who live in the colony from where the sickness came. The people who live there didn't bring it back, though. It was brought here by rich and well-traveled Romans, or maybe business people or dignitaries were not really sure. Now the people who are from that colony are being attacked by soldiers and citizens alike. Most of the people from the colony where the sickness originated who live here in Jerusalem haven't been to the colony in years. Many were born here. But if Caesar can get the people to hate them, it will distract them from the fact that the Roman government is deeply unprepared to take care of the people and the Roman health care system is terrifyingly depleted. Thousands and thousands of people are going to die. Just because Monday Thursday was canceled and we can't dine together, that will not stop the empire from feasting on huge, staggering corporate bailouts on stockpiles of medical supplies and protective gear, on downplaying the crisis early on, on racializing the virus to cause further division. This is the cuisine of capitalist empire protecting corporations and people who are already obscenely wealthy, dividing us and sowing seeds of fear, blatantly putting profit over people, with one politician literally saying that people's grandparents would be willing to die to save the economy. Canadian filmmaker Astra Taylor said in a recent YouTube presentation called How to Beat Coronavirus Capitalism, it's not the economy that needs saving, it's the economy that's killing us. The empire's belly is full, but it is still hungry. And if the empire is having a dinner party, then we need to crash it. We have seen in the past two or three weeks things that politicians and industry have been saying were impossible suddenly become possible, while the so-called stimulus package dropped literally billions of dollars in the laps of corporations. There were some good things for regular people, not enough, but a bunch of people will get 1200 bucks, and student loan payments are on hold, expansion of unemployment, and some provision for gig workers is happening, and but corporations are getting $425 billion. That's almost twice as much as state and local governments and three times as much as public services like hospitals and food programs. Bishop Yvette Flunder says, we invest in what we care about. 
The system in which we live cares about capital, but capital does not care about life. I had a professor when I went to San Francisco State who asked on the first day of class, you ever notice how we don't live in a society, but we live in an economy? Crashing the capitalist dinner party looks like rent strikes and looks like Amazon warehouse workers striking, looks like Instacart workers striking, looks like people showing up at a detention center in their cars and blocking roads that way, looks like people moving into vacant houses like Moms for Housing did, and not just here but in other states and in other countries. Crashing the, the capitalist dinner party peels the band-aid off of the gaping wound of brutal inequity that just three or four weeks ago was called normal. Crashing the capitalist dinner party, I pray, I pray will create a lasting shift in this death-dealing economy so that whenever this crisis passes, we are moving toward a system that values people's lives. Because as Astra Taylor says, the real pandemic is capitalism. Capitalism separates us, isolates us, and pits us against one another. And capitalism plus a super contagious virus turns the spotlight on the lie of individualism and the stark reality that no matter how hard some people argued this point a few years ago, all lives never really did matter. Coronavirus has revealed at an even deeper level that we are interdependent and that human suffering is directly proportional to the amount we resist or deny this interdependence. Nigerian poet and scholar Bayo Okomolafe said in a podcast interview, if you find yourself right all the time, if you're correct, if you have it all figured out, if you know where to go at all times, then look around. You are probably alone. To be flawed, to be wrong, to be wounded, to be touched in less than ideal ways is to recognize that we are in a world of other beings. We live and thrive and emerge in the orbit of other beings. And that is beautiful and tragic all at once. We are living in this beauty and this tragedy right now in ways that few could have imagined. Monday Thursday is canceled and we are all at home and we have never needed each other so much as we do now. The message of Monday Thursday to serve one another, to radically love, to forgive like Jesus did, and I totally get that forgiveness is a process and I do not say this to lift up forgiving in situations where relationships have a power imbalance or there is abuse or systematic oppression. I know that forgiveness is a process but forgiveness is for our freedom and our wholeness. The message of Monday Thursday is calling us now. Now is the time, like never before, at least in my lifetime, to gather up our people, even as we are apart, to work, to resist, subvert, denounce, stand up to, disrupt, speak out against, and rise up against the commodification of this pandemic crisis. Now is also the time to be of service to each other, to live into that thing we always talk about, that love is an action word. Monday, Thursday might be canceled, but the table is still set. Come.
My call to action this week is to give money to people and organizations that are serving folks on the front lines. Check on your elders and your friends, who, especially your friends who are parents, especially your friends who are single parents. Share your resources, resist the urge to hoard. And I say that because I have the urge to hoard. And have your feelings, for God's sake, have your feelings. Stay home, interrupt and call out xenophobia and anti-racism, especially anti, not anti-racism, anti-Asian racism, wherever you find it. I'm going to say that again. Interrupt and call out xenophobia and anti-Asian racism wherever you find it. Support Asian businesses and be gentle with yourselves. Thank you so much for joining me from wherever you are in this world today. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud, Twitter, or Facebook pages. And next time we have Seth Wispaway bringing a resistance word for us. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't need to tell you that the political situation we find ourselves in right now is serious, that the geopolitical implications of this pandemic are terrifying, and we need everyone to do their part. For white people, we've heard time and again from movement leaders of color, go get your people. We need white people to be, commu- to be committing to anti-racist work and undermining white supremacy in 2020. I'm glad to be affiliated with showing up for racial justice because this is exactly what Surge is trying to do. We are doing amazing work in 2020. We need everyone's help. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please, please make a donation to Surge. You can donate online on our podcast page at showingupforracialjustice.org. The link is in the transcript on the Surge website. You will see the link in the little blue word that says here and in the liner notes for this episode. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice in the new world that we're trying to build together. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, and they include references, resources, action links, and finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. Thank you so much, Max. Blessings to you and all that you do. Stay home. Take care of each other. Wash your hands. Breathe. Love and liberation to you all. Until next time, I am Jean Jeffress. Oh,